Several biblical passages, Psalm 82.1, Job 1.6, 1 Kings 1.22, speak of what some theologians call a divine council, an assembly of heavenly beings, or gods. For Israel's neighbors in the ancient Near East, such councils reflected polytheistic worldviews, where rival gods vied for power and supremacy. For Israel, however, the members of this divine council, though heavenly and supernatural, remain subject to the providence and decrees of the one creator God. Furthermore, God disarmed all these malevolent spiritual powers at the cross of Christ, and one day he will strip them of all authority entirely. So wait, does the Bible embrace polytheism? How does this idea of the divine counsel correspond to the Bible's teaching about God being distinct, omnipotent, and sovereign? Everybody to the Beards of Bible Podcast. The Beards of Bible Podcast. <laughs> I don't really talk like that. <laughs> I don't know why. I just decided that's uh, how I talk this morning. But anyway, mm. welcome. Thanks for listening. My name's Josh. This is Gabe. Say hi, Gabe. Hey, everyone. Good morning, or whatever, <laughs> whatever time of day you're watching this. <laughs> Gabe was just lamenting to me before we started recording about how sleepy he is. Mm. So, Gabe, why are you so sleepy? Let's talk. I just, I don't know. There's, it's early. It's early in the morning as we're recording this. And it's hard wrangling three energetic boys into bed at night, getting them to go to sleep so you can sleep. Mm. But, um, yeah, I'm still catching up on sleep, too, I think, from uh, when hiking this weekend with a couple guys from work and I took my middle son Eli who is 11. Mm. We did uh, about 12 miles through the Alabama mountains. Nice. And yes, there are there are mountains in Alabama, believe it or not. I was just about to ask. Yeah, would that be like northeast Alabama? Yeah, they kind of start east of Montgomery, which is like in the middle of Alabama and they kind of okay. work their way north and east and then hit the, the Appalachian <laughs> mountains. Well, technically the lowest, the, the southernmost Appalachian mountain is in central Alabama. Hmm. Is that Sand Mountain? I guess it's Flag Mountain. It's an elevation okay. of just, just over 1,000 feet, I guess. And it starts, that's kind of where the Appalachian Trail starts, or not the Appalachian Trail, the Appalachian Mountain Range starts. And there's a Pinhody Trail, I guess, that goes through oh, those yeah. mountains. Yeah, the Pinhody yeah. Trail goes through my hometown of Dalton. Really? Yeah, I just met a guy the other night, really cool guy. Um, and I don't know if he's listening or not. I don't know if he listens to the podcast or not. But anyway, he told me he ran a 100-mile Pinhody Trail mega marathon. <laughs> mega started marathon. My, it started in my hometown. It was 100 miles. Wow. And he ran it in 36 hours. So Good super cool grief. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm yeah, about. Yeah, that's not – 100 flat miles. That's 100 <laughs> like yes. mountainous miles. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Was well, were his knee were his knees like the like like camel knees? He had just like these man, bulbous, like swollen knees. It's so funny. He's he was one of the guitarists for one of the worship bands um, for our worship night, 
and I guess somebody had put a bug in his ear that I played the cello. And so he started talking to me. He's like, Oh man, cool. Like, um, I'm a, I was a composition major in college and I was like, Oh cool. And so we started talking and we really hit it off. The guy's name is Chris. And, um, just like, yeah, started getting on this, you know, stuff talking about his stuff that interests him and stuff. And then he mentioned, um, Chattanooga. And I said, Oh yeah, I grew up kind of near there. And, I said, I grew up in Dalton. He goes, oh, yeah, I ran a, a trail run. I was like, oh, cool, which one? He goes, oh, well, you know, just kind of a little the Penhody trail run. I was like, oh, okay, was that like a 10K, 5K? He goes, no, it was a 100-miler. <laughs> I was like, okay. Wow. Goodness. So I'm not going to complain about the marathon that you and I are training for to yeah. a guy like that because what's a, what's a little 26-mile frolic? To a guy like that. So, but he has run the race that you and I are training for, the Seven Bridges oh, Marathon. Cool. He's run it. And he says it's really flat. So that's good to hear. Good. Was he like, Psh. did he make that noise? Psh. No, no. But I felt like I, I felt the Psh noise just because yeah. of how superior I knew he was to me in every way. Now, was that like so. you felt that noise or did you make that noise? Just I, like in your pants. <laughs> in my pants, I made that noise. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Like we as dudes, even if people aren't trying to make us feel small, sometimes we do feel small when we meet a, a man that's done more than we do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like super humble and super nice mm-hmm. about it. But at the same time, I was like, golly. But at the same time, he's like, you will bow to me. <laughs> <laughs> you cello player. No. Chris, if you're listening, which I don't know if you are, I don't know if you listen to the podcast, you're a cool guy, and we should get coffee. So, anyway. Mm. Yeah. Well, enough about that. This we whole a big thing, topic. we got a huge topic, so we probably should dive in. Um, man. So I've heard about this topic from various people. I've read stuff about it over the years and um, never really took the time to do a deep dive in it until recently. And it was because I'm studying John chapter 10 because I'm preaching through John's gospel right now. And I came across this verse in John chapter 10 and realized, man, I really need to do a deep dive into this topic. And the verse is... Jesus is being confronted by religious leaders. They're accusing him of blasphemy. They're saying he has a demon, all of these things. And Jesus answers to them, isn't it written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called those to whom the word of God came gods and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say you are blaspheming to the one the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the son of God? So his point seems to be this. They're telling him that he's a blasphemer based on his use of the title Son of God. And yet Jesus is saying, well, your own scriptures apply the same term. Your own scriptures say that others besides the one true God are gods. And the the word that is used in Psalm 82, which Jesus is quoting, is the word Elohim. And so it's interesting, in Psalm 82, 
Elohim is applied not just to the Most High God of Israel, but to other Elohims. And we're going to read the verse here in a minute. And so I'm studying it, and I'm like, gosh, what, what does that mean? Like, if the scriptures say that there are other Elohims, right, other gods, what is that? And I'm researching it, and there's really like two explanations. The first is some commentaries are like, oh, this is just like human magistrates, judges, and rulers. Well, that didn't really make sense because you read the end of Psalm 82, and the Most High God says to these Elohims, you shall die just like men. And I'm like, okay, well, if they are men, it doesn't make sense that God would say you would die just like men. But then the other explanation I found very interesting is that these other Elohims are those created beings who would have some sort of a divine position in the spiritual realm. So like spiritual beings who have some unique kind of delegated authority that sit in a council that God rules over as a supreme leader. And this kind of blew my mind as I started studying all these verses that talk about this. So, Gabe, when's the first time you heard about this? And did you, have you come across this in your study? And what was that like for you when you kind of encountered this for the first time? Yeah, uh, probably, probably the past decade, I would say I came across it for the very first time. Just, you know, went to a Christian university and technically have a, a Bible minor and my degree and all that stuff. It's kind of, it's astonishing that I just now in the past decade have kind of heard about this. Yeah. Um, which you want to be careful, you know, too. You don't want it to be this, like, if it's like a trend or something that you just hop on or it's taking mm-hmm. place and you want to make sure that this is indeed something that is scriptural and the understanding, you know, someone who would have read scripture in ancient times would have seen this <coughs> as right. well, um, that we're not reading it into the text. But uh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Kind of like challenge, I guess the, um, you know, like run of the mill, like uh, evangelical Christianity kind of con- co- the concept of God as 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 we've as we developed over, especially I would say in the in Southern United States, like yeah. there's there's the Trinity and there's some angels, and that's it, um, right. Any, anything and and angels are actually below mankind in their ranking in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a very um, challenging concept, I guess, uh, on on some variety of levels mm-hmm. to understand and, and to embark on a, on a study of. For sure, I, I think that we prefer sometimes nice, neat, tidy categories in our Bibles, and sometimes we don't really like mystery. So for us, it's confusing and frustrating to have verses like Psalm 82.1, which we'll get into here in a minute, and Job 1.6, and 1 Kings 22, which we'll get into in a minute, because we're reading it, and our, 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 our nice, neat, tidy categories for there's God, and then there's angels, and then there's demons, mm-hmm. and we have our own ranking system that just makes perfect sense to us. And then we read these verses, and we're like, well, wait a second, that doesn't quite fit in that. And there's some mystery attached to these verses. We can, you know, do our best to study what the text is saying in the context it was written and try to figure out what's going on with it. But at the end of the day, um, there are certain things attached to this that we would just say, man, like, 
it seems like there's probably a lot about the spiritual realm that we just don't know. Mm-hmm. Or there's a lot about the spiritual realm that we thought we knew because we're reading it from the lens of 21st century Americans. And it was not written by 21st century Americans. It was written by people in a ancient Near East context. And um, so, yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic. Honestly, I think that's probably why I avoided doing a deep dive for so long because this is a bit of a trending topic um, in some circles. And it's important to, you know, there are people that would say you can't understand the Bible without first understanding ancient Near Eastern, like, uh, culture and context and all that. You're, yeah. you're missing out on most of the Bible's um, message. And I would say that that's false. You yeah, know, like you can, you can really transform your life and conform your life to that of Christ mm-hmm. using the Bible, sitting in a jail cell with zero access to studies, books, YouTube videos on ancient Near Eastern culture or whatever. Yeah. Um, you, there's great power in God's just written word. Um, so I don't want to undermine that, but at the same time, you know there is there is um, a friend of mine, Anthony, uh, put it in a message that he delivered. It's like eating the cherry off of a um, fudge sundae, but ignoring the fun- fudge sundae. There is so much depth mm. to God's word. That, yeah, the cherry is good, and it's you know awesome, but like you know God's word says it's like the matter of kings. It's the business of kings to search out the secret things in Scripture, and uh, yeah. it's kind of you know this divine counsel stuff is isn't secret per se, but it's it helps us understand how God issues judgment, how He rules, how He how He um, decrees, and um, part of that is the divine counsel. Yeah, and and that's I think a very interesting um, insight into the character of God that we read about scripture. So I think that's kind of why this matters. But um, yeah, so Psalm 82.1 is kind of the the verse that Mm -hmm. Jesus is quoting in John 10. And Psalm 82.1 says, God, and the Hebrew word God is Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council Certain translations will translate that different ways. Some translations say the great assembly. Some say the congregation of the mighty. Some say heaven's court. Some say the congregation of the divine. That seems to be the closest Hebrew equivalent, that Elohim takes his place in the congregation of the divine. That seems to be what, you know, quite literal Hebrew translation is that, or the divine assembly, those are other words. Okay, so... God, Elohim, has taken his place in the congregation of the divine in the midst of the gods, also Elohim is used, he holds judgment. Mm-hmm. Now, Gabe, I was looking at the Hebrew. So the first word, Elohim, and then the other word, Elohim, it seemed like they were the same, but they were different because they were shaped a little bit different. So, and I tried to put that in the show notes, kind of how the, those were put. What's the difference between those two words, just in form? Yeah. Or there's, is there much difference? No, there's no difference at all. They're spelled exactly the same. Um, so where it says, Elohim takes his sand, be-edat, which is like in the, in the edat, el, which is like the, the congregation of the 
El is just shorthand for Elohim. Okay. So when it says that he takes his stand in the Edat of the of the shorthand for Elohim, and then it says Bekerev in the like in the midst of Elohim, the gods. Hmm. Yishpat. He gives um like rulings, judgments. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of messes us up a little bit when we start reading the Hebrew. If we're like, well, wait a second, Elohim is God's name. Why is it being used again to refer to these other creatures? So um, there's a difference, though, in the scripture of Elohim as the Most High God and Elohim as God. So, I mean, do you is is there like a specific meaning of the word Elohim, or is it just a yeah, uh, Elohim is a kind of like a generic title. Okay. It's not the specific personal name of God, um, which would be the Tetragrammaton, yud Hey vav Hey. Elohim is kind of a, kind of like us saying... Um, the Lord. I guess us, us saying God or Lord, yeah. Okay. Um, but Elohim comes from the verb Elah, or Allah, which means be lifted up or exalted. And so it means, um, so in the word, the word Elohim, a little bit of conjugation here is stuff. It's a, it's a Elohim, the im ending at the end denotes that this is a masculine plural noun. So hmm. the Hebrew is tricky though, because um, it could be a plural noun or there are instances where uh, pl- masculine plural endings are given to nouns to denote respect um, so it could be that, or it could be that this is this is plural, but this is the first word used to describe God back in Genesis 1, where he says um, uh, that God God created the heavens and the earth. And, and then he goes on to say, and he says, let us make man in our image. So there is a degree of, mm-hmm. there is ev- evidence of plurality there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's important to note. But yeah, this this word Elohim is is not God's personal name, although the context here you know, basically lends itself to, to understand that this is talking about God the Creator, right. Yudhe, Vavhe, Yahweh, or whatever, however right. we pronounce that. Um, but then it, the second usage of this word, where it says, among the Elohim, uh, that's a little bit more problematic, and that's clearly, you know, that's, that's intended to be a plural noun. Right. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and this this word, if I could dive into this word congregation, this yeah, a dot, because um, that's important that we understand. And where it says that Elohim, and I'm, I'm still in Psalm 82, 1, it says that yep. Elohim takes his stand, be-edat. Uh, edat uh, is a called out assembly. It's a, it's a, it's actually um, the same word used throughout the book of Exodus um, to describe mm-hmm. the people of Israel. And it says the congregations of congregation of the sons of Israel, the congregation of Israel. It's used, oh gosh, like dozens of times throughout the book of Exodus hmm. in reference to, to Israel and Leviticus in reference to Israel. But it is a uh, simplest terms, it's like a a group of people coming together with singleness of purpose and and identity. Um, it comes from the root Ya'ad, which um means like a meeting, um, a meeting together. Hmm. 
Uh, so when it, we back up and we understand that word a little bit more, and it says that God takes his stand among those who are uh, like a, a, a called-out group or a group of entities with singleness of purpose who, who are divine, it says in Psalm 82. They're, they're, they're El. And it says, among the Elohim, he judges. And yeah, that's like, right away you're like, whoa, this is a little bit weird. This is problematic right. to, to my understanding of, of God. Yeah, that's super interesting. So the divine council, this congregation of the divine, Hebrew and Semitic scholars have seen this pattern in multiple verses, and we'll look at most of them, but it seems like what, what's being described is kind of this meeting of divine beings, created beings, right, that, that God created, the heavenly host, who in some way in the Old Testament are being described as being involved in administering the affairs of the cosmos. Hmm. And that's mind-blowing for some of us because we go, wait a second, I don't... I mean, I, I know that in Greek and Roman mythology, you have like, you know, all the gods sitting together and you've got Zeus that does this and Neptune that does this and all that, right? Mm-hmm. And... um so thinking that the Bible would in some way suggest something that for us, we're like, oh my gosh, that's polytheism. But it's not polytheism at all. And we'll see that as we get into it. It's just saying that there is a, there is a, a understanding of um, supernatural beings that probably goes beyond our nice and neat and tidy categories in a way I think that for some of us is is very different. But what the Bible kind of makes clear is even though there was this sort of, you know, council or pantheon or whatever you want to call it, um, they were all under the authority of Yahweh. Because Psalm 82, one it says that Yahweh stand, or Elohim stands um, over them, and then in the end... Elohim says to them, you've oppressed people, you've not done your job well, you're going to be judged, and you're going to die like men, which is super interesting, that there is a judgment pronounced on these Elohim that are not judging well, essentially. Mm. Another verse that's super interesting is Job 1.6. It says this, Now there was a day... When the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So the sons of God, what essentially, what, what does that phrase mean? Who is that, the sons of God? Hmm. Um, yeah, it's also used a little bit in... in um in Psalm 82, it's hinted to where he says, like, you are like children of Elohim. Mm-hmm. He's talking about the divine council there. But it seems like um, this is talking about a group of angelic beings, angelic-like beings, um, mm-hmm. maybe including falling, fallen angelic beings, who came into God's presence to kind of present themselves to him. Hmm. Almost like, yeah. a, like a heavenly courtroom of sorts. Yeah. A throne room. Which is really interesting that there's like this (laughs) 
it's like interaction of God and even Satan. He's like, hey, what have you been doing? What have you been up to? What's your mm-hmm. business been about, right? And then God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Hmm. And and that's it's an interesting thing is like the courtroom of heaven, the divine council, all these things, there's, I don't want to say debate happening, but there's almost like a, you know, I don't want to say a contest, but it seems like there's this, you know, Satan is clearly rebellious, a rebellious angelic being, and he's probably there with other fallen rebellious angelic beings. And they're sitting in this courtroom of other angelic beings that have not rebelled. <laughs> and there's these like interactions between them and then looking mm-hmm. at what's happening on earth and understanding like how, you know, all of this is going to play out. Mm. Really interesting. It is. Yeah. It says in Job 1, 6, and there was a day, the day came when the B'nai Ha Elohim, and so it uses that Elohim there. The hmm. day came when the sons of God, uh, presented themselves, or they stood before Yahweh and came, so it doesn't use Elohim again there. It uses the tetragrammaton, yud heh vav okay. huh. And came, and, and, and Satan also came among them. So yeah, it almost is like this picture of like a courtroom, and you know, on one side you have um, the defense, you know, like the b'nai Elohim. Mm-hmm. On the other side you have Satan, which in Hebrew is actually just a, a verb that means to oppose, to get in the <laughs> way of. So you have these two opposing sides, and in the middle you have Job. <laughs> and the judge of all at, on, the, on the throne is, is, is God, yud heh vav And so they're going to put Job on trial, essentially, and that's, in essence, the entire book of Job starts out with this kind of prelude of you know, is this man going to be found faithful? Let's right. see what he can endure. So it's yeah. really interesting. The stage so we, is kind of being set. Yeah, so what's interesting about Job, too, is there is what happens on earth, and then there's what happens in a spiritual realm, hmm. which kind of gives us an insight on so much of what happens throughout the Old Testament is that throughout all of the events of kingdoms rising and falling and nations coming on the scene and nations being taken off the scene, all these things, there is this unseen realm of there is a spiritual battle that is going on at the exact same time. And Job kind of gives us in a very small way, like the microcosm of that happening in just one story, the story of Job. And it's interesting, Job is considered the oldest book in the Old Testament Mm. in the sense that it was written. It would have happened somewhere probably during the times of Genesis. So That's interesting. Yeah, and you go down to verse 7, it gets even stranger, I guess. And it's like, and it says that God said to Satan, where did you come from? <laughs> you know, like, where, what have you been up to? Right. And say, Satan's like, well, I've been going to and fro on the earth, and from I've been walking back and forth on it. Hmm. And then God's like, basically, well, have you noticed my my... My servant Job, um, there's no one like him on the earth. He's like blameless and upright, and he fears, he fears Elohim, and he shuns evil. So that's when it kind of like starts. Like Job's just minding his own business, right? And right. <laughs> uh, he's like, "Hey, think about Job. 
He's a right. pure man. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. I've never really read it like that before. Yeah. It's, it's mind blowing. Think through all the stuff that goes on with that. Uh, first Kings 22 is a very, very, it's probably one of my favorite stories in first Kings. Uh, the story of <laughs> Ahab wanting to go to battle. So Ahab is a wicked king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He wants to go to battle, and there's all these false prophets. And Ahab essentially wants a word from the Lord that says you're going to be successful in battle. <laughs> mm. And they all come together, and every single one of them say, oh, yes, 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 you're going to be successful in battle. You're going to, you're going to be successful in battle, all of them. And he kind of knows that they're not speaking truth to him. And so he goes and gets the prophet Micaiah uh, because someone else asks Ahab, is there any other prophet? And he goes, yeah, there's one guy. I hate him. I just hate the guy <laughs> because he never prophesies good. He always, he always tells the truth. And sometimes the truth is not what I want to hear. And I hate him. And so they bring Micaiah forward. Micaiah is like, oh, yeah, you're going to be fine. You're going to go to battle. And he's like, no, no, no. Tell me the truth. And he's like, well. I'll tell you the truth. If you want me to tell you the truth, he goes, okay, what's the truth? And so this is what Micaiah says in 1 Kings 22. Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all of the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And he said one thing and another said another. Okay, I just want to stop there. <laughs> God is standing in front of the heavenly host and saying, okay, who's going to go and entice? Who's going to go trick this evil king so that he's going to go up and he's going to die in battle? And one spirit says, oh, I'm going to do this. And another spirit says, I'm going to do this. And there's almost like this, this sounds so crazy to think about. There's almost like this, uh, I don't want to say a democracy because it's not, because God is ruling over this council, but it's like there's this reasonable like debate, I guess. I don't I don't know. What do you I mean, what do you what do you make of that yeah. verse? It is interesting. Yeah, and in the word host there in Hebrew is seva, which is like an army. So this is these are these are people, you know, or entities trained for war. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's really confusing. I don't fully understand it. Yeah. And it says, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. Mm. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Oh. And he, that is God, says, you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. <laughs> what? Wow. So God speaks to this council that seems to be the combined host of heaven. So there's the faithful angels, and then clearly there's fallen angelic beings because a spirit of lying is not a faithful angelic being. Mm. Like that God speaks truth and God's servant speaks truth. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus said in John's gospel. So one of the fallen angels volunteers for the task of going and putting a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. Mm. And so since Ahab wants just to hear what he wants to hear, God says, all right, I'm going to give you what you want. And he sends a willing falling angel from this divine council 
who worked through these willing, unfaithful prophets who were just a bunch of pushovers that didn't have the guts or the spine to actually speak truth. And this lying spirit, this unfaithful fallen angel that's part of the divine council is still under the authority of Yahweh. Mm. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. I yeah. guess, you know, all all things are under his his subjection and, and sovereignty. And so, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating that he would say, basically to this, this divine entity, go and go and possess the prophets and make them lie. Right, right, That's right, so right. crazy. Yeah. Golly, yeah. and man, what a word about, I think, some of the, uh, mm. the spirit of the age in which we live in, in the sense that there are many that just want to hear what they want to hear. And so God's like, all right, if you just want to hear what you want to hear, I'll put a lying spirit in the mouth of your prophets, and I'll make people speak to you what's not true, but you don't want to hear truth. So if you don't want to hear truth, I'll give you lies if that's what you want. So it's almost Romans 1, you know, God hands them over to their own delusion, you know. That'll preach. That'll preach. (laughs) I think I've heard Dr. Rutland preach a sermon about that before, and and every time he gets to the word Micaiah, the way he pronounces it was hilarious. Yeah. Micaiah. Didn't he used to say David? David. David, yeah, David. David. Isaiah. David. Isaiah. Yeah. Suddenly, yeah, our, the, 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 president of our college would randomly switch into a British accent upon hitting biblical names for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Or he would read like Ramoth Gilead, like I would read Ramoth Gilead. He would just randomly, he'd be like, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? Mm. Just, yeah, just to make it sound like more authoritative that he knew how to say it, which probably didn't know how to say it, but the way he pronounced it made it seem very authoritative. But anyway. Daniel 4.17, super interesting verse. We see Nebuchadnezzar looking at his kingdom saying, I'm pretty awesome, I'm pretty great. Who is like me? Nobody's like me. <laughs> I think it's just funny because he like goes outside and he's like looking at how great he is. <laughs> Anytime I get up from like a nap and go out and look at my freshly cut lawn, sometimes I'm like, oh no, am I like Nebuchadnezzar? You know, Because I look at my lawn, I'm like, ah. Who is like the great Josh Brugger who's cut his grass? Mm. <laughs> My grass looks so great. That's how I imagine what Nebuchadnezzar did. But anyway. And so um, in response, God sends him out to live like a wild animal for seven years until he repents of all his pride. Do you remember the story? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So here's what Daniel 4.17 says about this sentence given to Nebuchadnezzar. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the mm. decision by the word of the holy ones. Mm. T- to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills and sets it over it, the lowliest of men. Mm. So that's interesting because it says that the decree that Nebuchadnezzar would roam like a wild animal for seven years until he repented of his pride that specific decree was a decree that God delegated to be made by an angelic group called the Watchers. Hmm. Now, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Who are the Watchers? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is a really interesting chapter. And a uh, little bit of Bible trivia for you. This is one of the very few, 
one of a handful of chapters in the Bible that's that's written in Aramaic. It's not written mm, in that's Hebrew right. or Greek. <coughs> that's so, like the only one, right? Daniel 4? Yeah, yeah. I think the book of Daniel is the only uh, portion of the Bible that has Aramaic, like chunk, like significant chunks of Aramaic in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's it's using the noun, the masculine noun, ear, which is like, you know, sounds like part of your body, ear. Mm-hmm. Um, but it corresponds to Hebrew ur, uh, which is like uh, to to like awaken, to stay awake. Uh, so it's probably s- something that stirs. So it's probably where it kind of the idea of like a watcher is one who's awake, um, keeping an eye on things. And the the one where it says like part where it says like the holy ones, that's using the word like the kedushin and. In Aramaic, they add an in at the end of a plural. Instead of in Hebrew, it's an im. But this is coming from the holy ones, like kadosh means holy. Mm-hmm. So the, the kadoshim are the holy ones. It's used in, um, you know, all throughout Daniel 4, Daniel 5, really all throughout, like Daniel 7, it's translated as the saints, um, the saints of the highest one, the, the mm-hmm. saints took possession, like those kinds of things. Right, right, right. So, yeah, this is clearly... Um, in a, a body of of immaterial, you know, I don't want to use the word divine, but I guess divine in the sense that like they're not, they're not, they're not they human. earthly bodies. Yeah, they're not right. human. Um, yeah, so that's really really interesting. Yeah, so it's almost as if kind of like First Kings twenty two, God's like, all right, what should we do? And this angel's like, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. And God's like, okay, sounds good, do it. <laughs> God says, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to get judged. What's his sentence? Hmm. And someone or, or a angelic being that's known as the Watcher, mm-hmm. one of the Watchers, says, well, God, I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to make him live like a wild beast for seven years. And God says, okay, sounds good. Hmm. The sentence is by the decree of the Watchers. <laughs> yeah, almost <laughs> like a jury, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and the Watchers show up in the Book of Enoch. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So we don't really read about them much in the Old Testament necessarily. The book of Daniel mentions them, but this would have been very familiar, I think, in Jewish um, angelology, um, this class of angels known as the Watchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't actually know a lot about them, truthfully, um, other than what the text mentions, that it's just a certain class of angelic beings. So look at look at Daniel four twenty three real quick. Okay, I'm not trying to derail us. No, 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 no. Lot, this is good. I'm looking, <laughs> Daniel. I don't 4, have my physical 20. Bible in front of me, so I have to use the um, app. It says, <clears throat> uh, reading NIV here. Your Majesty saw a holy one, a watcher coming down from heaven. So it uses that same it's the same combination right there. If I look at it, and what is it going to be in? In Aramaic, so that in your king saw, yeah, an ear, a watcher, and one of the kadosh ones, one of the holy ones, coming down from heaven and saying, "Chop down the tree and destroy it, but stump and roots in the earth leave." So yeah, it's it's again, it's like this combination of like, it's a holy one that is a watcher, hmm. this class of angelic beings that they have quite a bit of um, authority. It seems like, at least, is evident yeah. in the book of Daniel. Yeah, and there's a a lot mentioned in Daniel about angelic authority. 
in the sense of Michael, the archangel, is mentioned in Daniel. Um, and I don't think he's mentioned in many other places besides Daniel. Mm. I'm trying to remember if he's mentioned in Revelation. I think he's mentioned in Revelation. Let's say Revelation 13, perhaps. Mm. But it's one of the few times where we see... Um, you know, these, these angelic hierarchies kind of mentioned and that these this battle over, you know, even in Daniel, it talks about the end of all things, the end of days. We see that the battles that's going to rage on, a lot of that's going to be angelic warfare. And um, we see kind of the hierarchies of these angelic struggle um, kind of played out in a, in a very interesting way. So... Um, so let us move on to one that's not controversial at all. That's Genesis one twenty six. <laughs> Genesis one twenty six says this: "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness." This has been kind of a topic of debate amongst biblical scholars. Um, historically, most scholars have interpreted the "us" in Genesis one twenty six as a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've always seen it as that, and I've taught it as that. Um, but some, as you're getting into studying the divine counsel, you'll come across a guy by the name of Dr. Michael Heiser. He's kind of the, um, he's written so much about it, and he's a fantastic scholar. We've talked about him on the podcast before. But his writing about the divine counsel involves Genesis 126 as well. And he has said, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, I'm still kind of unpacking his premise on Genesis 126, but he said that the verbal form in the Hebrew of Genesis 126 seems to indicate that a single person, God, is addressing a group. So the group, he says, that God is addressing is the members of the divine council. So the meaning is, of course, man is made in the image of God, but man is also made in the likeness of spiritual beings in the sense that we have a spirit and the animals don't. And that's how he says that the, the verse kind of should read. It's not just the Imago Dei. Yes, it's the Imago Dei, but it's also more. It's also that we are spiritual and we're spiritual beings like the angelic class of creatures are spiritual beings. Hmm. And so this is how he writes about it. Um, he says, it's like me going into a room of friends and saying, hey, let's go get some pizza. I'm the one speaking. A group is hearing what I say. Similarly, God comes to the divine council with an exciting announcement. Let's create humankind. But if God is speaking to his divine council here, does that suggest that humankind was created by more than one Elohim? Was the creation of humankind a group project? Not at all. Back to my pizza illustration. If I'm the one paying for the pizza making the plan happen after announcing it, then I retain both the inspiration and the initiative for the entire project. That's how Genesis 126 works. Hmm. Interesting. So I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I buy it completely, but um, someone might rebut and say, okay, are you saying that the angels helped God create the first humans? And here's what he said to that. Genesis 127 tells us clearly that only God does the creating. 
So in the Hebrew, all the verbs of creation in the passage are singular in form. Mm. It says God created humankind in his image and the likeness of God who created him. The mm. other members of the council do not participate in the creation of mankind. They watch just as they did when God laid the foundations of the earth, Job 37, 7. Mm. I wonder, you know, I, I, it could be a bad analogy, but like in the building, how, in the building world, we have superintendents, superintendents, you like they don't they don't carry your tools around with them at all in their vehicles or anything but they right. know all the ins and outs of building a house um they sign all the paperwork they they write all the checks um they give all the authority to what we call subcontractors mm-hmm. subcontractors are specialized in different phases of construction there's painters plumbers electricians roofers you name it and so the, the the superintendent is kind of like a this this like um, orchestra leader. What do they call those composers? Conductor. Yeah. Conductor. Thank you. A conductor of all the of all the subcontractors. But you know, let's say every everything's done. Uh, and, and first of all, let me say the superintendent is overseeing that and hovering and making sure it's all done correctly and to his standards. And let's say when it's all done and all the subcontractors are left, the superintendent is standing there in the front yard looking at the house and he can say effectively and and my superintendent does say I built that house and I built that house over there I built that house right, and it's right, like right, right. well you didn't actually build the house I mean but you did you know what I'm saying right, 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 I wonder yeah. I wonder if that's a similar analogy it's like you, you know yeah I don't know I mean because it says that God <clears throat> you know formed man from the dust of the ground and then breathed his life into him so it kind of seems like that yeah, create yeah. creative power seems to be a unique attribute of God and God alone. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know about that in terms of you know God saying, "Well, I I created it, but it was others that kind of helped him do it." I don't. I don't know. It kind of seems mm-hmm. like it, it seems though that God chooses to rule in a very um, not a democratic way because he's he's omnipotent. I'm not saying that, but it's like he he enjoys delegating his rule and reign, yeah, both on an earthly level and a spiritual level. Um, it's like he wants to share his authority. Yeah, like, there you go, there you go. Yeah, yeah. And I think for some of us, we think of God as this you know divine tyrant up in heaven, you know, just issuing edicts, and we're just like, oh yeah, and and it's almost as if God's saying, okay, so what? What are we going to do about this situation? Yeah. <laughs> Which it's like, wh- what? So it almost, like, if, if we get this aspect aspect of God, it almost seems like this should change how we pray. Hmm. Of course we're praying the will of God. Of course we're saying to God, hey, your will be done. I don't want my will. I want your will, Lord. But it almost as if God is saying, okay, so what? what do you think is best in this situation? And we're invited and encouraged to even pray our hearts to the Lord. And God's like, okay, all right, well. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know if I'm kind of out on a tightrope here theologically, but I mean, it almost seems (laughs) that if we hold to this image of God in our mind as this, again, this tyrant that never hears the heart's in the thoughts of those whom he rules over, then that's not the God of the Bible. He's a God that encourages 
participation and delegates his authority and wants to share in his rule and reign. And then you read in the book of Revelation, that's kind of what we're going to do with him. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. Hmm. Yeah, he says, all authority has been given to you. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of the essence of a good leader. Is like the leader mm-hmm. knows, okay, I can veto any piece of advice I'm given here, but right. everybody come to the table. I want my advisors to come to the table. Yeah. And I want to hear what they have to say. They have a stake in the matter. Yeah. Um, I'm all Which is knowing, interesting because God already I, knows what they're going to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. It's like he's almost just yeah. kind of modeling that for us. Like, Yeah, or, or like, giving us a chance to speak what's on our hearts. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And even in right. prayer, I think so much of what prayer is is us speaking what's on our hearts, and God saying, okay, yeah, that's on your heart. Did you know that was on your heart? No, I didn't, God. Well, okay, there <laughs> it is, right? Um, let's look at just a couple that I think are super interesting, and we'll get into God dividing the the nations. That's a big one. Hmm. Genesis three twenty two, the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil." What? Hmm. <laughs> Who is <laughs> us? Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that'd probably be the divine council, right? Genesis eleven seven. This is the Tower of Babel. Come, let us go down and confuse their language. Who is us in Genesis eleven seven? Hmm. Isaiah six eight, and I heard the Lord saying, "Whom shall I send? Who will go for us?" And I said, "Here am I. Send me." Hmm. So I think some might say, "Wow, that's clearly a reference to the Trinity." Well, I don't know if you can get there. Um, just from even the the plural and singular constructions of um, those words, because God, singular, is speaking to a plural group. So it seems as though God is speaking to this angelic host. He's suggesting an action, and then he's including them in the process. And so we know that the sons of God, this, this angelic host, was in existence before the creation. So it makes sense that they were the ones to whom God was speaking um, when he says us in these passages. And some would even say in Genesis one twenty six. So hmm. um, two more verses, and then we'll kind of get into the implications. Daniel 7, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning with fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Hmm. Okay, so we've probably been familiar with the language of heaven as a court when we talk about the final judgment. Mm-hmm. But I think some of us probably haven't asked, who is sitting in that courtroom? Hmm. Yeah. Right? Who, who, who are the thousands upon thousands attending the Ancient of Days? So it would seem that what Daniel 7 is describing are these like millions of heavenly beings this heavenly host, this divine council of supernatural beings that surround the throne of the supreme judge as he determines the verdict for uh, specifically the little horn in this passage, Daniel 7. Hmm. 
And then the, yeah, that is, isn't it? Revelation 4, John sees the throne of God. And he doesn't, on the throne of God, just see, oh, there's some angels with some wings playing harps in their diapers. (laughs) He sees four creatures with eyes and wings that are flying around. Some of them look like beasts. Some of them look like cows. I mean, just crazy stuff, right? And uh, possibly these are the cherubim from Ezekiel's vision. We get two supernatural beings described in um, Ezekiel and in Revelation, the cherubim and the seraphim. And then there's Mm -hmm. beyond the description given in those two passages, not much given about them at all. Hmm. So what is cherubim and seraphim? Seraphim just means burning ones, right? What does it mean to be a burning one? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. What did he station outside of the the Garden of Eden? That's super interesting. Let's look. Let me be Genesis three. Yes, I bet I can get there first in my Bible app. He drove. He drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim. Cherubim. Okay. Which, if I'm not mistaken, are also the angelic beings, there's a representation of them, two gold cherubim that are placed Mm -hmm. on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Yep. Which is interesting because it's like, wait, is that in defiance to like, one of the Ten Commandments is not to make any graven image of anything, you know, like in heaven or earth or in the sea. But here you are, you're commanding us to make two gold cherubim and put them on the Ark of the Covenant. It's interesting. It talks, I mean, if you want, it's kind of a side trail, but basically God sometimes makes exceptions to his law, I guess. But yeah. Um, yeah, so you got the seraphim and the cherubim that seem to be these class of angels that um, are heavy hitters when it comes to like guarding, uh, protecting. Uh, do you, do you yeah. think there's something to like, so the cherubim are stationed outside east of Eden with the big flaming sword, mm-hmm. almost to say, hey, because of your sin, your sin has separated you from the tree of life in the midst of the garden. Mm-hmm. So, like, here's the eternality and the holiness and the perfection that you can't get to because of your Mm. sin. Mm. And then the ark, there's the cherubim, and between the cherubim, there's the presence of God there. Yeah, yeah. Do you think maybe that's what that's communicating? Like, here's the holiness and perfection and eternality of God, and your sin has separated you from that? I don't know, just speculation. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, like, the tabernacle and later the temple would absolutely have a lot of Garden of Eden symbolism in them. Uh, yeah. there would be a tree like the menorah. Yeah, there there would be all kinds of symbolism as you walked into the, the tabernacle that would say basically you're entering. You're you're allowed like a kind of a like a small piece of the Garden of Eden if you keep it hmm. holy. If you keep it yeah. holy enough for me to dwell in. Right. Super yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are the implications of this idea from the scriptures? Well... I think the first is it shows us the vastness of the supernatural world. Hmm. That when God created the angels and other spirit beings, he created different categories and hierarchies among them so that there would be an order as he worked with his creation. So just like we're talking about, there's cherubim, there's seraphim, there's the four living creatures around the throne, there's the 24 elders sitting upon the throne, Some people have said, oh, that's the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the 12 apostles. 
I don't think so. Those seem like angelic beings, but they look like older men sitting on the thrones, right? Mm. Um, so they're created with different abilities, different positions. He made some to be archangels, which is an interesting word built from the Greek archai, which means chief or highest or first, and angelos, which means a messenger. So it just means chief angel or ruling angel. And uh, I think ruling angel is probably a better term than archangel. We, we kind of miss what that word actually means um, until we really do a deep dive into it. So the angelic world has this hierarchy. Some angels rule over others. I mentioned Michael from Revelation 10. He's called one of the chief princes or the ruling angels. Um, Revelation 10 and Revelation 18 also mention strong angels who are more powerful than others. So we have angels that differ in authority and power, but we also have angels that are just different kinds of spirit beings, like the cherubim and seraphim just are different, right? They're not, mm. they're not, they don't appear to look like older men, like the 24 elders, or they don't appear to look like young men, like Michael. Um, they, they are creatures that are, you know, seraphim means burning ones, right? Maybe they just look like fire. <laughs> mm. And so not only do we see different ranks and different classes and different types of angels, we also see different ranks of spirit beings in verses like Ephesians 6.12, which says that we as Christians wrestle against rulers, which is that word arche, authorities, excosia, and world rulers, cosmocrator, and spiritual forces of evil. So rulers, authorities, and world rulers. Some of the older translations say principalities. So it's not just different words to describe the same spirit beings. They're different ranks of authority and power in the fallen angelic world. Hmm. Colossians 1.16 mentions thrones, lordships, rulers, and authorities. And these are different positions in the kingdom of God and in the church. And so God rules over all of these spirit beings of various rank and power. They're called Elohim, right? They're called gods. <laughs> uh, 1 Corinthians 8 says, this is Paul, he says, indeed, there are many gods, but there's one, one God. So there's many lowercase g gods, but there's only one most high God. He's far greater. Um, so yeah, there, there's a there's like a ton of mystery when it comes to this angelic world, even in the demonic world. Um, there's an interesting verse where the disciples can't cast out a demon. They come to Jesus and they're like, why couldn't we cast him out? He said, well, this type only comes out through prayer. And some translations say prayer and fasting. Mm -hmm. And the word he uses for type is literally the word in the Greek we get the word species from. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this species only comes out through prayer and fasting. Okay. What else do we need to know? He doesn't tell us. Super bizarre. Yeah. yeah. And then you, I mean, this isn't, I don't think this is in our show notes, but if you go to Jude, uh, Jude oh, yeah. 1 6. Yes. And it's saying, uh, I'm turning there real quick. June 1-6, it says, And the 
Anglos, the angels that did not keep their like domain, their station, their arkin, but left their the dwelling, left their own dwelling. Uh, let me go to the translation of it here and just read the entire verse. Jude one six. Um, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of the authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal change eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Hmm. And that would, that would harken back to the watchers, you know, like some people would say that's the watchers of the book of Enoch, yeah. which, you know, there's like um, these, like, I guess around 200 fallen angels that, that left their station and commiserated with uh, female humans and then, yeah, and then also like it's <laughs> a nice way to say it. <laughs> yeah, and then and then had you know like that gave birth to the Nephilim and all that right. stuff, and then they taught all these humans different things. But what's interesting is I think and I think if I'm not mistaken, they're like given certain regions of the world. Yeah, we'll get into that here in a minute. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, hold your horses, there, Chief. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last time you're gonna make horse noises. Yes, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> so. Okay, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And Jude one six is a fascinating scripture too, because it talks about the archangel Michael wrestling Satan for the body of Moses too. Mm. Yeah, which you were like, when did that happen? That's from the Book of Enoch. So, um, so yeah, it, it, the implication is it shows us there's just a huge spiritual world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We already talked about God's manner for governing the created order, so we're gonna kind of move on from that. But I think one thing needs to be crystal clear. God does not need a divine counsel. Mm-hmm. God doesn't need us for that matter, right? <laughs> he doesn't need any of us as his emissaries or viceroys on the earth. He's certainly capable of doing everything on his own. But having this counsel is in harmony with his loving nature and his desire to work together with his creation. So it reveals something to us about the character and nature of how God actually operates, and that is he wants to share his authority with those on earth, which is super interesting. Mm -hmm. But the third implication, this is huge, it shows us this unseen battle that has waged throughout human history. Okay, so here's a verse that is super, super, super helpful in understanding what's happening in the Old Testament, right? Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High, that is Elohim, gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Right? He fixed the borders of the peoples, that's the Gentiles, right? According to the number... Of the sons of God. Okay, so when did God divide mankind? How did he fix the borders of the people according to the numbers of the Son of God? The numbers of the Son of God. Sons of God would be the same angelic creatures we read about in Job 1 6, the fallen angels. He's fixing the borders of the people <laughs> according to mm. them. <laughs> what? Mm. So when so did that, that happen? be like? Genesis like 10 and 11, the table of nations, and then later the Tower of Babel, where yeah. it says in Genesis 11, um, 
they were portioned as an inheritance according to the number of the sons of God. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I guess, would that be the answer we're looking for? I think so. That makes most sense, yeah. right? It's when God divided mankind. So what hmm. in the heck is going on with that passage? It seems like, yeah, it seems like he's dividing the nations and then placing over them members of his own divine council. Uh, so these these nations were assigned like lesser, you know, lower ranking Elohim as a judgment from the Most High, hmm. if I'm reading it correctly. I think you are. <laughs> That's what it says, right? Which blows our minds. What? <laughs> Yeah. So God says, because you rebelled against me by building this tower, you didn't you didn't want me, I'm gonna basically judge you by giving you gods that aren't really gods that will deceive you into worshiping them instead of worshiping me. Mm-hmm. And so you're gonna be assigned these lesser Elohim, and that's that's a part of your judgment. Mm. So that kind of makes Psalm 82 make sense because God sits in this council and basically says, you have oppressed these nations, you have done awful things to these people, and you're going to be judged. Isn't that mm. interesting? It is, yeah. So would Ronald McDonald be like our lesser <laughs> in the United States of America? <laughs> the god of obesity, yeah, probably. Yeah. So um, Deuteronomy 4, 19-20 says, Beware, this is God, speaking to the people of Israel, beware lest you raise your eyes toward heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, I actually think this is Moses speaking, isn't it? Hmm. I think this is Moses. Okay. Okay. Go back and read it. You'll know the context. (laughs) So beware when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, that you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under all the whole of heavens. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are to this day. Hmm. So, what does that verse mean? So, is this basically saying that, like, all the nations, you know, post, post Tower of Babel, like, all the nations have their lesser Elohim that's judging them mm-hmm. and ruling them. But then when he pulls Israel out of Egypt, he's saying, I am your Elohim. Yeah. I am your judge. You are my people. You will not be ruled by one of these. Yes. Okay. Yes. So essentially, this kind of explains so much of the regional loyalty to certain deities in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the Philistines have Dagon, that mm. the Canaanites have Baal or Baal. Mm-hmm. Or if you're from the south and you're a preacher, bail. Um, but really, where you see this probably in the most dramatic form, where God executes judgment on these lesser gods, the the God, the Most High God, is in the story of the Exodus. And here's a very interesting verse: Exodus twelve twelve says that God's judgment on Egypt was not just God exacting judgment on the kingdom of Egypt, he's exacting judgment on the gods of Egypt. Hmm. Exodus 12, 12 says this, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And so Egypt has been delivered over to these lesser Elohim, 
as a judgment, just like all the other nations who rebelled against God. Egypt has started to enslave the people of God. They cry out to God. He says, I'm coming. Hmm. He comes with his deliverer. And as he does, he comes and he gives 10 plagues. And as you start studying this, this is so fascinating. Every one of these plagues that God gives seems to correspond with a certain Egyptian deity that God is executing judgment on. God turns water to blood. And if you know anything about just the cities that were built on the Nile in Egypt, if you didn't have a water source, you couldn't survive in the middle of the desert. So the god Hepi is the Egyptian god of the Nile. So it seems like God is judging this Egyptian god Hepi, <clears throat> the god of the Nile. He makes frogs come out of the Nile, which seems like a, that's a really bizarre thing. Why would God do that? Well, do you see the picture that I put in the show notes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of Hecate, the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal? Mm. If you're not, uh, if looks just like a frog. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a it's a human body with a with a frog head. Yeah. So some it seems of, some kind of scepter in yeah. her her hand. I guess it's a female. Yeah, as a kid, I was always like, why is why is like frogs? Why is that judgment, right? Judgment frogs. Oh no, frogs. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's frogs because um Hecate is the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. And so what God is doing is he's judging this. Elohim, this this lesser, corrupted, fallen demon, essentially, through saying, "Well, I'm going to show you who's really in control of frogs. You're not the fraud frog goddess. This is this is who runs the show, Yahweh, right? Hmm. Um, lice comes from the earth's dust, and that's judgment against Geb, the Egyptian god of the earth. There's a swarm of flies. The judgment is against Kirpi, and Kirpi is the Egyptian god of creation. Um, movement of the sun and rebirth." And he has this big bug scarab over his face. So for the bug god, God sends flies. <laughs> hmm. Death of cattle and livestock is judgment over Hathor, the goddess of love and protection. Um, particularly, Hathor was the goddess of financial well-being, and cattle and livestock are always protected. Like, they're always considered kind of, um, you know, your finances. So God goes after that goddess through going after basically their 401k, their bank account, their cattle, their Mm -hmm. livestock. Boils and sores, that's God's judgment over Isis, who's the goddess of medicine and peace. Hail from the sky is judgment over Nut, who is the goddess of the sky. (laughs) Locust from the sky, judgment over Seth, the god of storms and disorder. God says, I'll show you a real storm, a real disorder. Here comes Locust. Three days of complete darkness, judgment over Ra. Ra was the god of the sun. God says, oh, you think you're the god of the sun? I'll take away the sun. And then death of the firstborn. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was considered to be kind of the firstborn of Ra himself. And so God says, you're not firstborn of Ra. I will take the firstborn. Hmm. And so... So much of even the conquest of Canaan, we have a hard time with those in the book of Joshua. But so much of that was God executing judgment on these nations for bowing down to these 
spiritual powers that were demonic. So yeah, I mean that's a that's crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so much of it is is kind of washed out of our traditional reading of scripture. Um, you know that that seems. But I mean, it's 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 awesome to read the ten plagues like that. Like God is is judging these lesser Elohim that were literally enslaving his his co- congregation, his um, his bride. I guess we we could say that is the people of Israel, oh. and he's trying to to judge them. And which is kind of a picture of t- you know today. It's like uh, we have and we set up little idols in mm. our life that if we want to be holy and set apart for him we should pray that god would would judge our idolatry judge yeah. those things that are in in our way of of being holy and set apart yeah it's interesting i need to do more study on this because i think there's so much to it but it talks so much in the new testament about when jesus died on the cross he disarmed the spiritual powers hmm so I don't know exactly the implications of that. But when Jesus post-resurrection says to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, hmm. there's something significant there. Mm-hmm. That all of these malevolent spiritual powers that were in authority over these nations, Jesus stripped them of their authority. And now authority is... In Jesus, and that's why Jesus can say to his people, go into all the world, go into all the nations. Because now I'm the one who has authority over these nations. So go and take my authority to the nations and make disciples of these nations. Because before that, I mean, the Jews didn't want to even go in the house of a Gentile, right? Mm -hmm. But then God says to his people, now I have all the authority over them. So you go and take my authority to these places. And then that's exactly Mm -hmm. what you see in the book of Acts. But at the same time, God didn't destroy these spiritual powers completely. They someday will be destroyed, and they're still causing problems. And we would say, actually, they're kind of the main problem. They're kind of the forces, the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, the spiritual wickedness in high places. That's Ephesians 6.12. They're they're kind of the ones that animate all of our cultural idols and inspire all of our evil and our hatred and our violence and our division. These are the demonic forces at work, Mm -hmm. but no longer do they have complete authority like they did. Now we have authority over them as people who have the name of Jesus because Jesus disarmed them and then gave that authority to his followers. Hmm. It it goes back and it ties into Daniel chapter seven. And before we read Daniel seven, there's this phrase Son of man, that's used throughout the Gospels. Mm. But in Matthew, it's used here, you know, like um, numerous times in Matthew. Son of, son of man is basically, it becomes a messianic title. Yeah. But Daniel, Daniel 7 12 says, As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was removed, but they were gathered, they, I'm sorry, they were granted an extension of life for a season and a time. In my vision in the night, I continued to watch, and I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence and was given to him dominion, glory, and kingship, that the people of every nation and every language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom 
is one that will never be destroyed. Hmm. So let me ask you this, and I didn't find this in the notes, and I don't know the answer to this. I'm just speculating. Post-crucifixion of Jesus, post-resurrection of Jesus, post-Jesus disarming these malevolent spiritual powers, what does the divine council look like now? I don't know. I wonder if it's like um, been refined yeah. to those who are obedient. I'm not sure. It seems like, um, like in Revelation 20, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So I, I, I think that that we are still under the influence of, of, of spirits, of lesser Elohim, let's call them, who are, are influencing the earth, rulers of the earth, trends, um, that sort of thing. I think we're still... But I think if we are born again and are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we have authority that is over that, and we have authority no. to rebuke that, to to be influencers for the King of Kings. Right. Um, so maybe maybe the the authority is diminished um, mm-hmm. in the presence of holy ones, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. I think maybe the divine council is is refined to a certain extent, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I didn't get that answer as I was studying. Hmm. You know, to kind of land the plane, it, really what this shows us is that God is completely sovereign over everything. Mm-hmm. So the divine council is not an embrace of polytheism. There's only one God. And as you read the Old Testament and even the New Testament, you see that there is one most high God, and these lesser spirit beings are by no means equal. They're actually under his authority, and they're going to be judged for their oppression, wickedness, and deception, those who are rebellious mm-hmm. about them. And, and, you know, I think we have this false idea of hell. <laughs> I kind of think mm-hmm. that, you know, Satan is going to be ruling over hell with a pitchfork, and <laughs> right? And that's not what we get at all. I mean, you just read Revelation 20.10 that mm-hmm. the devil is going to be thrown to the lake of burning sulfur. And then in Matthew 25, the Bible even says that God will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That that's kind of the point of this eternal fire, right? It's to judge those lesser beings who rebelled against God. So thinking through that and how that works now, there's probably a lot of mystery there that that may not be for us to know in this life in terms of how does God interact with all of the angelic spirit being world now. Mm. But I think what we can know is that we have authority now because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Mm. And it should give us just this intense gratitude for the liberation that was given to us and the freedom that was given to us and the exodus that was given to us that we've been set free from our bondage to these lesser gods essentially Mm -hmm. 
and we've been brought into freedom and now we have authority. So, yeah. So it's like a, you know, the, the first Passover was this redemption from this regional set of lesser Elohim of God's bride. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, 3,500 years later, you have a second Passover Mm. where Christ dies, uh, rises again for the sake of, of the calling out of his bride. But it says, you know, he so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So it's like this ultimate escape from 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 death, from from punishment, through his blood, through through the blood of the lamb. If we hmm. apply it, and it's up, it's like a it's a bigger, broader, uh, more uh, vivid Passover experience where the ju- the the lesser Elohim of the world are judged now. And it's up to us to apply that blood on our doorpost, so to speak. That'll preach. Mm. Mm. I noticed uh, you were wearing your hat backwards in this episode. I feel... Yeah, what do you think? I feel like maybe I should do the same thing. Yeah. We should do every episode. It's kind of like I'm a bro. I'm a bro. What's up, bro? Yeah, you're just a basic bro bro today. Basic bra? I just need like a tank top or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have these like flat back hats. Is that yeah. what they're called? Snapback. Snapback. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. All the people that give me these cool hats and merch and stuff, I used to do work with mm. this organization, so they gave me one of these. I don't know how to wear them, you know? Mm. Yeah. Like, hey, cool, here, maybe here's a snapback. And I'm like, why do you wear a snapback? So I just wear it backwards when I don't want to comb my hair. So that's what that's about. Yeah, it looks real bussin'. You look. <laughs> You look bussing today. <laughs> Did your sons teach you that word? Yeah, I'm like I'm like just abusing that word <laughs> everywhere I go. I'm just saying bussing. Man, this, this episode was bussing. This is Drake bussing, yo. Yeah, no nobody cap. talks like that. Nobody talks like that. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening, guys. If you have any questions or comments, shoot us an email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on the YouTube or Facebook, and uh, we will see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.